I heard a story, it's been probably 15 years ago, it was back when I was in the business world, and uh, a, a guy actually came and spoke to our, our, our meeting, our business meeting that we had once a week, and uh, he shared this story that just, it, it impacted me, it's a, it's a great story, and, and some of you probably have heard it before, but, but it's, it's this young man, his name's Johnny, and Johnny is, has Down syndrome, and he works in a grocery store. And the grocery store, the manager of the grocery store had gotten a little bit frustrated with the employees that they weren't treating customers the way they were supposed to. And basically, the customer relation was not very good. So this manager makes this decision in the grocery store to close down the grocery store for an entire day. Now, you have to admit, that's, that's a pretty rash decision, right? Because grocery stores are open seven days a week. They're open lots of hours because they need to be to sell lots of groceries. So she closes it down for the entire day, and she brings in a motivational speaker. And this motivational speaker sits down, all the employers are there, and gives them this, this roaring talk that they need to make a difference in every customer's day. That, that when a customer comes in, they feel like their lives should be impacted by something that happened in that grocery store in a positive way. And, and so Johnny, who hears this, and he loves motivational things, and he's all excited about it, and he goes home and he tells his dad, Dad, here's what this lady said, and I really want to make a difference in people's lives, but I'm just a bagger, and I don't know what to do. And so him and his dad sat there and talked about it. And one of the things Johnny liked more than anything was motivational sayings. He loved to read them because they gave him motivation. And so him and his dad decided that they were going to write down all these motivational sayings. And what he was going to do is the next day after he packed someone's bag, he was going to put the motivational saying in the top of their bag so that customer would at least have that. And so that first night, they wrote out as many motivational sayings as they could before their hands cramped up. And, they, and Johnny goes to work the next day with this whole pile of motivational sayings, and he sets them there next to him, and he'd pack the bags, and he'd take one, put it in the top of the bag, and he'd tell the customer, have a great day. And that's all he did. And, and first day, all the sayings were gone. So he went home and he said, Dad, we've got to make more of them. And so over the next week or two, they got to the point where they would print these out on the computer. And every night, him and his dad would cut all these motivational sayings into these little squares. And he would take hundreds of them to work. And he would lay them there next to him. And he'd pack these bags. And he would put one on the top and say, have a great day. And he did that day in and day out. And one day, the motivational speaker got a call from the manager of the grocery store. And the manager said, we have a problem. And the motivational speaker says, what's going on? And so she tells him about Johnny, what Johnny's doing. And the motivational speaker's like, oh, hold on. That's a good thing. Isn't that a good thing? And the manager goes, no, 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 you don't understand. They won't go to anyone else's line but Johnny's. And so it's lined up clear to the frozen food. And so they had a problem, right? And what's interesting about that is obviously Johnny was giving people life, right? I, I looked that word up this week, being a life giver. I, I like that word, and there's actually a definition for it. A life-giving person is able to inspire and strengthen people, and they also give hope and joy. That's a life-giving person. What's interesting about the story about Johnny that I've never thought about until this week is that what about the rest of the employees? What if they would have been pitching in? 
then it wouldn't have been a problem, right? But it was just Johnny, the life giver. And and so uh, when I look at that, when I think about this word being a life giver, I think, man, I want to be a life giver. I I want us as Lost Floors Church to be a life-giving church. Uh, Now, we're continuing in the story of David and really Saul, two very different people. And again, this is another week of contrast between somebody last week that it said was rejected by God. In other words, he walked away from God. And David, a man after God's own heart, whose spirit came upon him in a great way. And so we're going to start here in chapter 17. Last week, we ended with David being anointed the king. Again, he's still a boy. And he gets anointed king, and then we go into chapter 17, and here the Israelites are at war. And they are at war with the Philistines. They are their arch enemy. I mean, they are the worst people, right? And so this time in Israel's history, that is their enemy. And so here they are at war with the Philistines, and here they come to this valley. And the Israelites would line up on this side, and the Philistines on this side, but instead of fighting... The Philistines found a giant. There's a giant that lived in their land, and he becomes this fighter. And this giant named Goliath, maybe you've heard this story. I think maybe you probably have. Would come out every day, and he would challenge the Israelites. And he would yell out insults at them and basically say, Hey, you send, instead of having a battle, just, we'll just have one-on-one combat. Winner takes all is basically it. Well, day in and day out, the Israelite army is terrified of this champion, Goliath. In fact, this is what the Israelites do. As he calls out these threats, it's 1 Samuel 17, 10, 11. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. And so here... Here, this whole army is afraid of this one man. No one will step up, not even Saul. You remember last time? Saul was head and shoulders taller than everyone else. I mean, if anyone's going to challenge Goliath, wouldn't it be Saul? But nobody steps up. And so now David gets sent to the, the war. He was not in the army. He wasn't old enough yet. Still a kid. Remember, he just got anointed, and now here he is. Now... His dad sends him basically with a picnic basket. That's kind of embarrassing. A picnic basket is full of food. Go to the war. Find out what's going on. Let me know. He gets there, and this is what happens. It says, as, and he gets there, and he's talking to some of his brothers and stuff. And it says, as he's talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. And as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Uh, most of my adult life, I've had this picture of, of the Israelite army listening to this and just looking at their feet. Uh, but you read this, they weren't even, there was no courage left in them. They didn't even just stand there. They literally ran away. And so here they are trembling, deeply shaken, and now they're running away as Goliath stands up there and taunts their army. Well, David begins to ask around, like, what's going on? 
Because his dad sent him there to get some news. And he's going, this is weird. I, I thought there'd be a battle going on. Instead, you guys are all terrified of this giant. What's happening? And so as he's talking, he's asking, so what happens if someone fights him and wins? And he starts to hear all of this news. And his oldest brother, you remember the very first one that was rejected by Samuel when they were going to anoint the next king? The oldest brother hears David asking about fighting Goliath, and he is furious. And I just, again, I want to say, it makes sense, right? Could you imagine being at the family gathering where one of you going to be anointed king, and it's not you, the oldest son, and said it's the youngest brother who wasn't even invited to the party? And so there's this jealousy, there's this anger towards David because he's jealous of him. And now David, he's saying, you're so arrogant. Now you come, now you think you're going to fight. Just get out of here. No one wants you around here. But as all this is happening, Saul hears that there's somebody that's willing to fight Goliath. And so here David goes to Saul's tent. And David walks in. Imagine this boy. I don't know if he still had his picnic basket, but that would make a better story. He, he walks in with his picnic basket, and it says, Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll fight him. I, <laughs> I mean, you just got to try to picture this. I'm five foot six. It'd be like me walking out to the Kansas City Chiefs huddle and telling Patrick Mahomes, Go to the sidelines, buddy. I got this. What would they do? They'd all laugh at me, right? They'd be like, what are you doing? You're like 100 years old and, and short. And yeah, you can go on in the list, but it doesn't matter. That's David walking into Saul's tent and arrogantly going, hey, king, don't worry about it. I'll fight him. And Saul's response is like most of us would have been, don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. What's interesting here is Saul's, he's almost like angry. He's like, what are you doing, kid? And, and really, I think Saul's afraid. I mean, he is afraid. He's one of the ones that ran away, right? And now this punk kid with the picnic basket comes in and goes, hey, I'll fight him. And Saul's got to be like, oh. What is happening here? And there's, there's this jealousy, there's this fear, but David continues with, with Saul, and he's trying to convince him to let him fight this giant. And he says, hey, listen, I've killed lions and bears. I'm out with my sheep. I've killed lions and bears. And he says, the same God, you can see the difference here between him and Saul, the same God that helped me with that will help me in this battle. And so Saul finally goes, okay, 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 I'll let you go. So he tries to put his armor on him, give him a sword. It's all too big. And, and David's like, no, 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 I'm just going to take my sling. And I'm going to go fight this giant. Well, I don't know if you know what a sling looks like. I've been working on this all week. I had to dry out some leather and get some, some uh, straps made. And I got me a real sling, very similar to the one David had some 3,000 years ago. And I'm just looking at this going, this is what he's going to go out to battle with. This is what he's going to fight Goliath with. Goliath has swords, spears, javelins, armor. David has just got some normal clothing on and this. Now he stops and he picks up some rocks. And so I just wanted, I've actually been practicing all week, so I kind of want to show off a little bit here. But I, I, pick, I picked up a few rocks along the way. This is a smooth stone straight from the ocean. 
but I think it's too big. And it doesn't quite fit into the strap. So I got something a little bit smaller. And it's not smooth. He said he picked up smooth stones. But it has to be something that fits into this, this pouch. And it has to travel fast enough that it actually pierces the giant's head, right? And so basically what you do is you take this. And you put this on your index finger. You could put it on another finger if you want to. Again, I've been practicing. And, but before I actually throw it, actually my wife told me not to throw it. She warned me not to throw it, but we'll see how it goes. So you put it in here, and you take this. So now David's going out to battle with this, and you take this, and you begin to swing it either like this. You can hear it. Okay? Or you take it, and you do it over your head. And then, boom, you let go. Okay? And I've gotten really, really accurate and so, I'm going to have Kevin. Kevin, you're a good Goliath. Why don't you stand up? <laughs> Again, I've been wise by, advised by church lawyers just not to do this. So, I'm going to put it away, although I've had lots of fun with it. Um, the whole point is, this was it. He goes out to battle with this. I mean, it's kind of really kind of embarrassing. He sets his picnic basket down, gets this, gets his five stones, and he starts walking out to battle. And Goliath sees this boy coming, and you can imagine he is, well, he's basically offended. He's like, what are you doing? Don't you want to win the battle? You're sending me a boy to fight, and he's angry. He hurls insults at David. But I love how David responds to this. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. He doesn't even mention this. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, and the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied, today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. But the Lord will kill you. David's, David's hope was not in his ability. It was not in the sling. It was not in the stones. His hope was in God. And if you remember, when he's watching Israel's army run away, he's going, wait a minute. This guy doesn't even know our God. And you're afraid of him? And so I'm going to surprise you all here, but David wins. I know you're all shocked. You probably never heard the ending but he wins this battle. And how does he do it? He goes running out. Boom. Let's go. Better aim than me. The rock sinks into Goliath's forehead. He dies before he even hits the ground. And he turned down Saul's sword. And I, I don't know if he knew he was going to do this or not. But he ends up then cutting off his head with Goliath's sword. He takes his sword. What a humiliation for a champion, right? And so he defeats Goliath, and what happens next is the Israelite army is so inspired and filled with hope that they easily defeat the Philistines. This action by this boy literally inspired an entire army. And when you think about this idea of being a life-giving person, now I know he killed Goliath and took his life, I get that, but David was a life-giving person person. He literally inspired and strengthened an army, and in the process, he gave the entire nation of Israel hope. 
He gave them victory over their enemies. I mean, this is amazing. And he did it the whole time, not doing this, not banging on the chest, but pointing to God. The whole time, he's saying, this is God did this, not me. Now, so he defeats Goliath. Now, we need to actually go back to chapter 16, and I don't understand this, but in chapter 16, there's this story and David that seems like it fits in better after the Goliath story because Saul doesn't know who David is during the Goliath story, but yet in chapter 16, he talks about meeting David, and I want to share this with you. And just my feeling, there's lots of different takes, is I feel like chronologically, this story comes after Goliath. But this is the story. In chapter 16, it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. And so again, we're looking at this big contrast between David and Saul, the first king. And he's depressed. And he's afraid. And the thing is, when we're depressed, what is that? That's anger turned inwards. That's the definition of depression. So he's angry at himself. He's angry at people around him. He is jealous, and and there's nothing life-giving about Saul. And and so in the midst of all this, his servants basically say, hey, listen, Saul, we need to find you a good musician. We need to find someone that can play the harp and come in and soothe you because, man, nothing good is happening when you are like this. And so they go out, and lo and behold, they find David. David. David, the shepherd boy, anointed king, and now musician. The guy can do it all. I mean, the girls had to love this guy. And, and so now, now David is literally inspiring and giving hope and joy to Saul. And, and so the spirit has left Saul. The spirit's in David, and David is continuing to even inspire Saul. And now we're going to read 1 Samuel 16, 21 23. It says, And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. So so I just want to point out that you can see, well, even though this comes before Goliath, he knew who David was. He was his armor bearer now. And so it doesn't make sense that he didn't know him during the Goliath story. So chronologically, I think this comes in after Goliath. And here, David is now working for Saul. He's his armor bearer. He's his musician. He's this guy that's trying to inspire and, and give Saul some hope and joy. But there's a problem. Following Goliath, David starts to become really, really popular. You can imagine, in today's world, we'd say David went viral, right? Every video of him killing Goliath is everywhere, right? They didn't have that. But man, they had word of mouth. And it was just as fast as the internet, I'm just guessing. And boom, it goes to everybody. And people begin to know who David is, or at least have heard of David. David becomes really close friends with Jonathan, Saul's oldest. And, and, and then, after the whole Goliath thing, this song comes out. I don't, they didn't have radio, but the song was being played in all the street corners. And so as the army is marching into Israel, the women gather. I'm just going to read it to you. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals, and this was their song. 
Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now imagine if you're Saul, the king, and you're like, I don't like this radio show or this radio song that they're playing. This is not nice. I had David killed tens of thousands and me only a thousands and the tormenting spirit begins to come on him in this fit of jealousy. He's depressed. He's jealous. And so now the next day after he first hears this song, he's sitting there and David's playing the harp, just joyfully playing the harp. And pretty soon Saul picks up the spear and hurls at David, trying to pin him to the wall. David gets away once. He tries it again. David gets away. And now David gets out of there. He's like, this guy is going to kill me. So, so Saul goes from really liking David, you know, his musician, this guy that defeated Goliath, made him look good, but the jealousy, the depression, everything got too much. So now he just wants David dead. But it keeps getting better. If you remember, or maybe you don't remember, but one of the, the prizes for beating Goliath was actually you got to marry one of Saul's daughters. And I find that interesting because Saul never offered one of the daughters as a prize, uh, but all of a sudden, Saul decides, hey, I think I'm going to give David one of my daughters. And her name is Merab. It says, one day Saul said to David, I'm ready to give you my older daughter, Merab, as your wife. But first, you must prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. So what's he do? Yeah, you're going to get my daughter, but you need to go out and fight. His whole plan was, was to get David killed. Keep sending him out to battle. Hey, you need to go to the front line, David. You need to be right out there in the action. But true to David's fashion, David just keeps winning. And in the end, Saul lied to David and he gives Merab to somebody else. And now in chapter 18, verse 20, it says, In the meantime, Saul's daughter, Michael, had fallen in love with David. And it says, Saul was delighted when he heard about it. Here's another chance to see him killed by the Philistines, Saul said to himself. But to David, he said, today you have a second chance to become my son-in-law. So Saul's trying to kill David through all of this. And, he, and now he finds out his other daughter, Michael's in love with David. Now he's going, okay, this time I'm going to get him killed. So he comes up with a plan. And he tells David, if you want to marry my daughter, because David was from a poor family, couldn't afford to pay the dowry to marry the daughter, even though should have been a prize for killing Goliath, side note. But so Saul comes up with this plan. You need to go out and get 100 Philistine foreskins. If you want to know what a foreskin is, Google it later. Saul, so Saul gives him this prize, and David goes out, and before the time allotted, he gets 200 Philistine foreskins. He wins again. He comes home. Saul has no, nothing to do now. He's just frustrated, so he gives Michael to David. Remember Saul's oldest son, Jonathan, best friends with David. And now his wife, is, or his daughter, is in love with David. David's this guy. Everyone loves David, except for Saul. David is this, this guy that's giving people hope, inspiring people, and Saul is just literally sucking life constantly. In 1 Samuel 18, 28, it says, When Saul realized that the Lord was with David, and how much his daughter Michael loved him. Saul became even more afraid of him. And he, and he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. That was the end of the friendship. Now all he wants is David 
dead. And it consumes him. Every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked, David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became very famous. I just want to remind us this idea of being a life giver. And I know it sounds kind of strange. David was a warrior, right? He's taken people's lives. It's, it's battle. But this is a culture some 3,000 years ago. And, and, and you look at someone that gives life, they have the Spirit of God in them. And literally, it says that when he was anointed king, the Spirit of God came on David in a great way. From that day forward, he has this, this Spirit. When, and you have Saul, who it says God rejected him. And I just want to point out, God doesn't reject us. We reject God. Uh, Saul, Saul wasn't rejected by God. Saul had rejected God. To Saul, he became more important. And so he walked away from God. Then you have David in the middle of all this who embraces God. And what's he become? He becomes a life giver. <laughs> and, and how can we be life givers in, in this world, in this culture? Obviously, we're not out fighting battles the way that David did. But how can we inspire and strengthen others? How can we give other people hope and joy? That's what I want for my life. That's what I want for this church. I want us to be life givers. And this week, Wednesday at lunchtime, I decided I needed to just go get in the water because sometimes when I'm working and stuff, I just, I just need to go out and just be in that peaceful place. And there weren't any waves, and I didn't care. I just paddled out, and I was sitting out there in the water just contemplating this idea of being a life giver. And it just started to come on me that sometimes I'm not even life-giving to myself. I, I, I'm, I tear myself down. I say stuff to myself. How can I be a life giver if I can't even inspire myself? And as I sat out there, I just started this thought process of, man, I think more than anything else, I want to be a life giver. I want to inspire people. I want to give people hope and joy. I want to strengthen people. What does that look like for us as God's people? And I just wrote this list, and it's an ongoing list, and you can add to the list, but to be a life giver, the first thing we have to do, we have to embrace the Spirit of God in us. We have to acknowledge it and embrace God. If we hold him up at arm's length or we walk away, we can't be a life giver. So step one, we embrace the Spirit of God. We just see the good in people. <laughs> be a peacemaker. Forgive easily compliment people. Even be kind to yourself. In fact, that should be the first thing. Be thankful for what we have. Show gratitude for this life that God, the life giver, gave us. Don't say mean things about people or to people ever. Don't seek praise, but praise others often. Be generous with your time, your money, your talent, your joy. And finally, just simply love people. I want to be a life giver.
I want the heart of David to be in me and us as a church. And I just want to take just, just a minute or two just to sit quietly and embrace this idea of being life givers. Let's just do that. Let's just be quiet. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just remove from us the anger and the jealousy and the rage and replace it with your spirit, your hope, your love. Lord, my prayer for us as your people is that we would be life givers to everyone we come in contact with. Help people to sense it when we talk with them. Even when we smile at them or wave at them. Let them sense that your spirit is giving life. That's what we pray. That's what we hope. And we just pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. You are dismissed.